the point is this amazing work that got me to a point where it's like, okay, I've accumulated all of this knowledge. It's sort of like a knowledge bank. And you have the same story, right? We kind of have these different careers. We accumulate knowledge in each of them. And there came to a point where it's like, okay, now what? What do I do? I can stay here, end up becoming a partner at a firm. Sure, make great money. But is it fulfilling my destiny? Are you building for the future? Am I building for the future? Welcome to another episode of Her Money Moves, and I am thrilled to have my guest here, Ramona Ortega, who is literally building wealth with her company, Wealth Build. Ramona, welcome to Houston. We're here live from the ION at the Tejano Tech Summit. So you were in Houston in May sharing with all of us tips and strategies and your expert insights from your accomplished career. I mean, really, you've done some unbelievably amazing things and would love for you to share how your journey began and what your origin story is and if you can share how you've got to where you are today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I love you. I love your work. I love what you're doing in Houston. I think there's just such a need for an ecosystem here and for Latinas and just really championing all of the wealth building that's happening in our community. So thank you for allowing me to be on your show and to be here today. I'm super excited to be sharing a little bit about not only my journey, but some real tips on how can we do this personally in our own wealth management, if you will. So I am Ramona Ortega, the founder of WealthBuild.ai. I've had a very long career in many industries, so I always say it's not a straight line. And I started my career in journalism. A lot of people don't know that. I worked for 60 Minutes. That's how I ended up in New York after graduating from UCLA. After leaving that, I ended up doing work in a policy think tank. So really got my hands in on a lot of data, understanding statistical analysis back in the day when we used to do SAS programming. And then I ended up at the Human Rights Project at the Urban Justice Center as their executive director at a time when the U.S. was submitting its first report under the Treaty for Racial discrimination. And so spent a lot of time in Geneva and was a delegate to the World Conference Against Racism in South Africa in early 2000. So I say all of that because it was a very long road to being an entrepreneur. Growing up, I didn't have anyone around me that was an entrepreneur. I didn't have anyone that, around me that was a lawyer. I lived in the Bay Area. I lived in Silicon Valley. And so I think I want to point that out because oftentimes we forget that part of our histories that we are in places and don't get opportunities. And so when I was doing the human rights work in Geneva, working with a lot of lawyers, I realized that I needed to be on the other side of the table. We did a lot of work with financing for development and international projects where the IMF and World Bank are, are very much involved. And I thought, how do I get on that side of the table with all the bankers? Because we need people like us who are advocates, who are dedicated to human rights on a fundamental level to be on the side of the money so that we can bring those solutions together with the money to really make impact. And so at that point, I decided to either go to law school or business school or both. I was waitlisted at Wharton, got into Fordham Law and said legal career is probably the better angle for me. Went to uh, Fordham and dedicated myself to really understanding all things money. <laughs> the first year I worked with the chief judge in bankruptcy in the Southern District, which handled 
handled Chrysler and, and GM, which huge cases, and ended up working with the SEC in asset management. And that was right after Dodd-Frank. So this was the first regulatory environment of hedge funds and different kinds of other private funds. So it was a really fun time to be there under this new regulation and just really being able to see the inside of the belly of the beast, if you will, working in bankruptcy and working in the SEC. What you're given is an inside look into basically how companies are formed and how companies dissolve and everything in between. And so I ended up doing securities litigation at a private firm. My first case was Madoff. And so that was a, just a real interesting experience. And by that time, Madoff had actually was already in jail. What we were doing was suing banks <laughs> and other entities on behalf of hedge funds that had invested. So to the extent that what I wasn't doing any Robin Hood, it was really, we were suing on behalf of other large funds, but we went after very big banks with deep pockets. So was able to get an inside look also on how banks run. So worked on the deposition for the head of a large bank that I won't name that we successfully sued in that case and learned a lot about KML, know your customer and all the regulatory environments that are really have so their hands in, in the banking industry. So all of that, and there was many more cases I worked on MF Global, which people forget about John Corzine, but like he was the head of Goldman Sachs. So it was all this fun stuff. The point is this amazing work that got me to a point where it's like, okay, I've accumulated all of this knowledge. It's sort of like a knowledge bank. And you have the same story, right? We kind of have these different careers. We accumulate knowledge in each of them. And there came to a point where it's like, okay, now what? What do I do? I can stay here, end up becoming a partner at a firm. Sure, make great money. But is it fulfilling my destiny? Are you building for the future? Am I building for the future? Am I accomplishing everything that I can accomplish. That was clearly a no, <laughs> because I thought there was just so much more to do. And I was looking around. I've always been very tech savvy at that time. Acorns had got funding. LearnVest had been funded. And I thought, this is really interesting. I love where this is going. But no one's speaking to my community. No one's speaking to me. Financial advisors don't look like me. I didn't learn about money. I know something about money now but it's very late in the game in some ways. And so I said, what could I do? And so putting all of those things together, I left in 2016 and started My Money, My Future as my first company. We don't come from wealth and we don't talk about money when we're growing up. There's a huge gap there. And of course, we're not really prepared for life. And every single day of our lives, we have to make a financial decision. Absolutely. We as a community, and I'm speaking generally, and we acknowledge that there's a racial wealth gap. So we don't have to, this is not made up. There's, of course, there's people that are well off in our communities, but the majority of us are working class folks. I didn't realize that I was poor until I actually, I, get, I got to Wall Street and other places and I was like, oh no, I grew up poor. And then it's like, yeah, and then we were working class and et cetera. And I always say that I'm still not great with money. I know a lot about money management, but having money and managing money are two different things. And I think some of the problems that we end up confronting is that people may want things and they don't know how to get there because of the jargon is, financial jargon is intimidating. There's a lot of shame for not knowing. I can't tell you how many Latinas I've talked to and they never took the match on their 401k because they didn't know what it was and they felt didn't embarrassed ask. and they didn't ask. Yes. So Latinos in particular, I think it's a cultural thing and I don't think it's bad, but there's a lot of humility. There's a lot of 
I don't know. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to be called out. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want to feel ashamed. And all of that seeps into our decisions around money and risk tolerance, by the way. And we'll talk about that in a second. I know you know a lot about that when you're dealing with investments. Latinos are much less, they're unwilling to take as many risks. And there's a lot of reasons that are absolutely legit for that. Yes. And for our audience, it is so important to be curious be bold and ask. There is no embarrassing question. That's right. A lot of knowledge that I gained really was from talking to my colleagues, a lot of them white males, because I didn't know about the Vanguard 529 plan. We thought if you don't get a scholarship, then you can't go to college. Because of that, he had like three kids that were in college. And I'm like, how are you paying for this? You know, because I'm nosy. <laughs> And he's like, oh, it is good. That's where he shared, you know, about the Vanguard 529 plan. He's like, my kids can go to any college if they want to, all three of them at the same time, because I started early in my career putting money back into it and it's grown and compounded. And so I've done the same for my children because of that one conversation. Correct. So and I think this is where when we'll get into this in a second, I want to break it down so that people understand how I think Nance kind of thinks about the products and then the plan, because I think there's a lot of confusion. I always joke that retirement, like people talk about like retirement accounts. I was like, retirement is time in your life when you're not working and you're hopefully chilling on a beach. Retirement accounts are the products that help you get there. Let's not confuse the products with the timing your life, right? Retirement is post-work, essentially, or when you're doing what you want to do. And so I think that comes back to like having plans. I want to say one thing because I think, yes, my career has been very unusual. One, because I've taken a lot of risk because I had nothing to lose. And I think that, and it's been said before, when you're comfortable, you take less risk. I have always been uncomfortable and I've always been very okay with being uncomfortable. And I think that just has, it's a matter of me growing up really early. I left home when I was 16. I went to school. I made it by myself. There was like, I mean, I have family, obviously it was a community support, but it was rough. I didn't have a smooth path and I was a single mom when I went to law school. So for all of those reasons, I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's actually one of the ingredients for success is that you got to wear it like an almost. And I think it pushes you. I mean, because I was all was one of the only Latinas in the room in finance. I pushed myself to become the smartest person in my industry in terms of in my space so that I walked into a room, I could have a conversation with anyone about any topic in that space. And I think that I bring that same kind of diligence to the tech space. I had to start all over. I didn't know anything about tech and how it worked and and venture capital and building companies. But as a lawyer, I learned great skills. You have to pick up topic and research it and understand it in its most nuanced ways. And I think that's something, a skill that you bring. Communication, being a journalist, I learned how to translate very complicated things into layman terms. So I think the point is you're able to take all of these skill sets, you compile them and you become extraordinary at what you do. And I think that's what you're doing. That's what we see in successful entrepreneurs. And I look around and I think we're taking more of that risk across the board as Latinas. And I love to see it. Yes. And please share with us what you've been building now with your startups. Absolutely. And I think it always comes back to the genesis of your why. Having grown up with very little money, I have a saying, if you don't learn about money at home, you don't learn about it at school and you learn about it by making 
huge financial mistakes or what we call opportunity costs. And I think I look back in my life and I'll just name a couple of opportunity costs. My We owned a property in Napa. When my parents got divorced, it was ugly. They lost the house. So that was an asset that we lost that would have been worth at least a million plus dollars in Napa. When I first moved to New York, I lived in Fort Greene. This was, at that point, it wasn't a great neighborhood. I had the opportunity to buy a brownstone for under $250,000. I just didn't have any resources. I didn't know. I didn't have anyone to guide me through that process. Literally, that would have been now four or $5 million brownstone. I had an opportunity to buy in my co-op when I moved to my other neighborhood in Brooklyn, which is now the hip neighborhood. Someone was like, hey, I'm going to sell two co-op apartments. They're stacked, but I'm looking for $200,000 in cash. I was like, where am I going to get $200,000? We don't have access to liquidity. So there's all these things. And let's not even talk about the 401ks that I liquidated because I didn't quite know that you can roll them over. Money mistakes, a credit that I didn't take care of. There's so many things that I didn't do right. And I know I'm not singular in that experience. And I think that what happens is that we carry that shame. And then we don't realize that the system was never meant for you to understand it. Financial institutions make money off the ignorance of people in terms of their money habits. They just do. Fees, the, yes, all of the interest all the rates. Interest. Yeah, all of that. Look, I get it. I'm in a business of making money too. But this is not necessarily your fault. But what I will say, and this is something I preach a lot, is that you can hit reset. We need to stop being shamed about money. And that's actually why I started the company. Because I was like, we need a translator. We need to make this simple so people don't get confused, don't get embarrassed, don't have shame around asking the questions just because they don't understand the jargon. Like it literally is that simple. And then let's break down what the products are. Let's ask those deeper questions. Let's say we don't know so that we can actually know. And so I think that's the genesis of both the companies. And it's always my mission. So the first company, My Money, My Future, was a very early stage in the financial inclusion space. We were one of the first to talk about financial inclusion and closing the racial wealth gap. It was a financial education platform, which now we do work with the NASDAQ Foundation. We have a campaign called Thrive, Building Intergenerational Wealth, which is just super exciting for us to be able to go across the country and do investor education in black and brown communities. And that's what we've done. And that's part of my investment boot camp. That's essentially what they allowed us to share with people across the country. And so it's a fundamentals because we talk about investing and most people don't understand the fundamentals. It's many things. Investing is many things, different products. How do you use them? How do they work together? My new company, Wealthbuilt.ai, started sort of in COVID and I was looking around and going, hey, the AI revolution is coming. This was before ChatGPT. We incorporated in late 2021. And I was like, there is an opportunity here to build what I really wanted to build, which was a financial advisor in your pocket so that everyone has access to an advisor that can answer your financial questions for the day-to-day stuff. Should I buy a house? Should I wait? Should I lease this car? Should I buy this car? I just got $10,000. What should I do with it? I'm leaving my job. What should I do? I just got a divorce. Life is full of financial decisions. Yes. And we say that we're helping people make smarter financial decisions. Because I want to empower you. I don't want you to have to rely on someone else all the time. I want you to get smarter with your money. And 
with AI and the intelligence that now we have with big language models, this is what we can do. And so we've built this. Now, what we've done a little bit differently is that at the end of the day, I want to scale to reach as many people as possible. One way to do that is to sell directly into financial institutions with this proprietary knowledge. And so that's what we've done. We use an API as a single serve sort of click into a bank. And so that they can then use our technology as the front end to their products. And we're seeing this. This is, it's funny, within the last month, two of the major Fidelity and JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley have all announced that they're building this internally for their advisors. So it, to me, it's a signal that this is exactly Absolutely. what is needed in the market. And so then we'll sell into everybody else who's not going to build it yes. internally. I mean, if you think about what you're doing, you're empowering so many people and really being a game changer because just like we need medical, we need housing, we need food, we all could use a financial advisor. And so many people don't because they feel like they can't afford it and don't feel like it's a necessity, but really it is in order for us to thrive. That's right. And it's you know, the model itself of financial advisors is assets under management. So what basically they would do is generally take 1% of all of your assets. And there's a, re a lot of reasons that model actually just doesn't work as well anymore. For a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Z, they don't have any assets yet. They're building assets. They have student debt. They don't own a home yet. Frankly, we're doing worse in terms of wealth building. So when you say, oh, I'm going to take 1% of your assets to give you basic advice, it just doesn't seem like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so this, I always think about what we're doing is allowing people to get the information and value they need to make better decisions so that they have assets eventually, so that one day they will need a, a true financial advisor for the more complicated things. But in the meantime, things like budgeting, things like life insurance, things like what's the difference between a Roth IRA and a regular IRA and what should I do with it? How do I roll over my 401k? What's a 529? What's the interest rates on X, Y, and Z? I mean, those are things that with technology, we can really put into your hands. And as we get more sophisticated, I mean, even now you can answer our financial 360 on our chatbot and you'll get sent an email with recommendations on what you should be doing. And here's, I think, another thing that's really important. I'm going to start getting into the real like tips. I think we overcomplicate finance and personal finance, wealth management. I always joke that for poor people, it's financial literacy. For wealthy people, it's wealth management. It's the same thing. Someone's either teaching you or showing you or helping you make the best financial decisions so that your money is making money for you. That's all we want. We work really hard, whether you have $20,000 or you have $2 million, you worked hard for that money and you want to make it work for itself. You want it yes. to make money. And then there's the different sort of tools to do that. And so I think the easiest way to think about building wealth and especially intergenerational wealth is this. It's net worth is simply your assets minus your liabilities. Assets being anything that you can liquidate. And so anything you can sell for cash, that's an asset. And so if we're talking about net worth at any point in your life, you'll take that moment and you say, okay, what's everything I own? My house, my car, my watch, my Louboutins, whatever, whatever, they, whatever it is that you own that's worth money. Bring that together, give it a value and say, okay, here's all of my assets. Now let's go over here and think about all, and sort of list all the things that I have to pay. What's the rest of my mortgage, the loans, student loans, bills, whatever, sort of add those things together. Do you have anything left over? That's your net worth. 
I mean, it's as simple as that. And so in finance, if you break it down, what you want to do is always be thinking about assets. I have a rule of thumb. If it's over $500, if you're spending $500 or more on that, it should be an asset. And so if spending a thousand makes it a better asset, spend the thousand because over time it will increase in value. Assets increase in value or at least stabilize. They don't decrease. Buying a brand new car off of the lot is a depreciable asset. Unfortunately, it just goes down in value the minute you buy it. So we don't like depreciable assets. We like assets that appreciate in value. And then on the other side of that, what you're always trying to do is maintain or reduce your liabilities. And then in between that is all the tools to do that, whether that's investing, leveraging, refinancing, you name it, budgeting, all those things that we get confused about are in the middle because they're the tools to either help you buy or build an asset or decrease your liabilities. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I, I like to break it down because I think that's sort of the people really confused about all the products and all mm -hmm. of the things. And it's if you can focus on those two things, that's going to help you make the financial decision. So, and again, asking yourself, is this an asset? Am I buying an asset right now? Is this going to increase in value? That doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it. If you, I mean, look, everyone has decisions, but I think it's a metric. It's a rubrics to use as you move through life. Okay. This is incredible, Ramona. And I know right now, a lot of people in a sandwich generation scenario where you're not only having to pay your own bills, but you also have your children, maybe even adult children that are still dependent upon us. And then we also have aging parents who didn't have all of this financial knowledge. And so, you know, didn't have a lot of wealth that they've built. Mm -hmm. Listening to wealthbuild.ai seems like our audience could definitely benefit from that, helping them to make decisions that can help them lift some of this pressure and this weight off of their shoulders, really help to benefit and improve their families' lives. That's right. And I think that's what we're really focused on, that sandwich generation, actually, because there's a lot of people who have wealth. I mean, they have, they built a good savings, they're professional women, and they're figuring out what they need to do. Because I think there's a certain age, you're like, oh shit, it's happening. <laughs> like, Let's look at the finances. What's the next stage for me? And so Wealth Build is going to be available direct to consumer as well. We are primarily a B2B business, but we do believe that there's a lot of advantages to go to direct consumer. So we will have that available. And what you're going to be able to do is ask questions like sort of, I just, I'm thinking about taking care of my mom. What are the options for me? How do I deal with Medicaid? We're working on a whole conversation around Medicaid and, and Medi-Cal and all of these kinds of services that are available and what you need to be thinking about really 10 years before any of that hits. How to move money out of retirement accounts so that you're maximizing for tax savings. So there's going to be a lot of that information that you can just ask access sort of in bed, essentially. Another feature that we have are these conversations around life events. And so that's a really interesting feature that we're excited about that's going to allow people to just sort of click a button. It's like, I just got married. What should I do? And I think those are the life events that we are, we're all talking about. So you're going to get access to that. We also have these things called money maps that are inside of our platform that are a little bit more sort of guided. It's not part of the chat bot, but it's they're sort of walking you through and guiding you through each step for a 
a major life decision. And so um, there's going to be a ton of content on there. We're going to be bringing in professionals. Um, we also are going to be working with certified financial planners. So at a certain subscription level, you'll be able to actually have a fractional certified financial planner as well for those that actually need to speak with someone. So we don't see ourselves as sort of anti-financial advisor. We're really that front door into that space. And so we hope that everybody will be supporting us, following us on Instagram, of course. And then at this point, we also have the Thrive Campaign. We're working with ERG groups. We're working with universities. So folks that are interested in getting resources and workshops through that. And that's something that we do both in person and as webinars. So there's a lot coming up for us. I'm really excited about the next stage of the company and to be able to really work with the communities and building wealth. I'm excited too and can't wait to sign up and ask Yoli lots of questions. We all have lots of questions to ask. Yoli is There's... our first Latina chat bot. Yes. <laughs> and how'd you come up with the name Yoli? Seriously, we were like, we need a four letter word because right, Siri, all the, you know, Alexa, they're almost all four letter words. And I was like, but I want a Latina. And it's like, okay, where's a four? And we're like, Yolanda. Yoli. So that's how she came about. And it's perfect. And if you don't know, you don't know. It's just sort of a name. But internally in the community, we know it's a bow to our Latinas CFOs out there. So you brought up different life events, such as marriage, having a baby. There's also a lot of women that end up like a crisis situation where their husband was handling all of the finances. Mm -hmm. And they're not educated enough about the finances and suddenly he goes off and decides to get divorced or unfortunately passes away. Mm -hmm. And then she's there left with, what do I do? Mm -hmm. So I also see this being a huge, huge benefit for so many women who are in that scenario. Absolutely. I mean, this is a big one. Women often don't understand their full financial picture with their husband. Um, there's lots of accounts that people have, brokerage accounts. That's primarily one of them. Men have more brokerage accounts than women. So you're sort of stockpiling in your 401k and then he's diversifying and you don't know about it. Cash in different accounts. You need to make sure that you're on the death benefit on the bank account. Otherwise, you can't access that money until you've gone through probate. Making sure that your things are in a trust. Very important, especially nowadays with Latinos owning more property. If you own a property more than a million dollars, it should definitely go into a trust. So you want to avoid probate at all costs. And this is part of building wealth generationally is that we need life insurance. We need trust. We need to do estate planning. This is part and parcel of the whole picture. Thank you for sharing that. So as we close, I just want to find out what are you dreaming bigger about these days? <laughs> I am dreaming about really fulfilling the mission of the company to its fullest potential. And to me, that means expansion in Latin America. I think that we can be a global company. I think that AI, I want to be at the forefront of AI for good. And then for my own personal dreams, I've always talked about the castle. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine myself and my later half of my life living in and around nature and having like, I want to experiment with urban farming. You know, so I think that taking a step back and again, money is a means to an end. I think I talk about this a lot. You have to have your end goal in sight because then the money follows that. Then it's sort of like I'm using this money so I can reach that. And that's what we're going for. And I want everyone to be thinking about what's your end goal that's my end goal how much money do I need what do I need to do to get there 
Wonderful. Well, thanks, Ramona, for being here. I deeply appreciate your time and sharing all of your wealth of information with our Her Money Moves audience. You're Thank incredible. You. And we're looking forward to supporting wealthbuild.ai and seeing it just go global and really impact so many lives. Thank you so much. Thank you.